the Multifamily Master Podcast, where your host, Tomasz Fonseca, interviews industry experts and covers multifamily investing from A to Z. Multifamily can provide significant benefits to active and passive investors, but to take advantage of these benefits, you must have the foundational knowledge. That's why we at Real Estate Summit are here to put the know together with the how. Tune in every week to get a better understanding of all the elements surrounding multifamily investing. Brought to you by the Masters in Real Estate Marketing, Ardor SEO. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode. It's been, it's been very fun so far. Right now, I have Arne Sinadella with me. He's the founder of Spark Investment Group. He's a real estate expert with more than four decades of experience. Yeah, you heard it right. Including 35 years as a realtor in the unique real estate in Silicon Valley, California. You will want to hear what Arn has to say today. Welcome to the show, Arn. Hey, Thomas. Great to meet you. Looking forward to having a great chat about multifamily real estate. Great. And uh, good morning. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to wake you up so early. <laughs> it, yeah, it's okay. I, I usually get up about six, so I had time for one or two cups of coffee and I'm ready to go. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So if you're ready to go, what, what, what if, we, if we start with your multifamily journey? Sure. So uh, my multifamily journey is relatively recent. Um, in March 2020, I had a phone call with a local investor buddy of mine who had completed three or four multifamily syndications. And he called me up on the phone and said, Arn, what do you think is going to happen with rent collections? Because this was March 2020 and COVID was just hitting and what was going to happen with rent collections. And I told him, uh, Mario, talk to me after April 1st, and I'll let you know how my April collections were. So um, that led to him sending me a couple podcasts about multifamily, similar to yours. And uh, at that time, uh, a light bulb kind of went off in my head, and I consumed lots of education, podcasts, boot camps. And my story may be a little different because I got into the real estate business way back in 1978, and I was primarily a single family broker. And then uh, based on this phone call in March 2020, I kind of made the shift. So relatively new to multifamily, but very experienced in the real estate industry. Nice. And you also, you also changed state in meanwhile of this change as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, my longtime girlfriend, life partner, and I both kind of California Bay Area natives. Um, she worked in Silicon Valley for Intel, Intuit, and Visa. She wasn't a tech person, but she worked for those tech companies, and that was a great experience for her. Um, we just got to the point where we wanted to kind of go on a new adventure, and um, we spent several years traveling around the United States, ended up uh, visiting numerous areas and then kind of focused on the Carolinas. And as fate would have it, we found Greenville, South Carolina and moved here in November 2014. So we've been here now about six and a half years. Uh, my screenshot behind me is the Liberty Bridge in downtown Greenville. There's a waterfall. It's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, we, we drove 3,000 miles across country, didn't know anybody, and uh, now we 
we love it. We're not looking back. We're really glad we made the move. No, that's perfect. I'm happy for you. And when you made the change, you still changed as a as a singly as a single family broker, or you changed to multifamily uh, with the state change as well. Uh, actually, I continued with the multi. Uh, I'm sorry, I continued with single family investing. So when I first moved here, I probably bought seven or eight single family rental homes. Many of them in my same neighborhood. Of course, coming from the San Francisco Bay Area, everything seemed inexpensive. So it was like, let's buy, buy, buy. Um, I also started doing quite a few flips. And so for four or five years here in Greenville, it was mainly managing my single family rentals. And at one point, I think I probably got up to about 16 properties, maybe about 28, 29 doors, just single family, two to four units, and was maybe doing four or five flips a year. Also did a few subdivisions. So just kind of immersed myself in the local market. Um, it's an excellent market. Things are kind of booming here. Population's growing and job, job growth is strong. And as you know, those are probably the two factors for multifamily investing, right? Population growth, job growth, and they usually follow. People move where the jobs are. And so it's a fairly simple formula. Yeah, and so it's, it was a good vision of you to, to move there and now be a, a passive investor there. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it was more about a, a new life adventure than a real estate-driven decision. The real estate just kind of... Um, went along with it. Went along <laughs> with it. And, and the other thing, theoretically, we never called it retirement because I think... The definition of retirement today is much different than it was 40 years ago, right? People just do other productive activities than their nine to five. They still contribute. They're productive. They're helping people. And so we always thought of it more as kind of a lifestyle transition. Um, and then, of course, it's not really work when you enjoy what you do. Exactly. So you're not retired and you'll never will be. <laughs> uh, probably not. Yes. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, uh, I have my recreational activities. I'm kind of a fitness guy. I play a lot of golf. Um, nice. But I think within all of us, there is a need to be productive. And you need to keep your mind activated, no different than your body, right? And so I think the days of sitting in the recliner chair and turning on the TV for eight hours a day, that's not really the fullest, highest use of the human spirit. So I think more people will transition, use this time to really kind of do the things that uh, makes them feel full and content and joyful. And of course, that's a big reason behind passive investing in multifamily is to create the income that allows the time freedom for people to kind of um, pursue their other passions, whether it's family, friends, community, church, whatever kind of rocks their boat. Nice. And I, and I hope I'll, I'll still hold the, these feelings that you're transmitting to me when, uh, when I'll be a bit older. Yeah. Or you'll be <laughs> off on a new adventure and do something else. And so it's totally cool, right? <laughs> I, I guarantee you that. I guarantee yeah. you. So we all know, we all know experience uh, wins the day. And how do you leverage your experience into, into your own success? 
Well, thank you. Great question. And um, so, I mean, during my real estate career, uh, I've been through numerous economic cycles. Uh, we've had interest rates at 16, 17% in the early 1980s. We had Black Monday in the stock market when the stock market crashed 30% in one day. I seem to remember October 1987. Um, <laughs> we, we, we had a period of time where uh, one third of all savings and loans in America would, would figure just like banks, but they were called savings and loans back in the early 90s. One third of all savings and loans went out of business in the United States of America. We had the dot-com boom, dot-com crash. We had COVID. And so with experience and going through these cycles, it allows one to have kind of a perspective. And I think today with the 24-7 news cycle, we tend to lose sight of the long-term perspective and we get kind of drilled down in the momentary. And I think as a real estate investor, you have to take a long-term perspective. Um, certainly there'll be rainy days, certainly there'll be economic slowdowns, but if you go about it properly, you can survive the, the, the slow times, the bad times and prosper in the good times. So I think experience allows me to have kind of a perspective. Um, and then the other thing is with the type multifamily I do, which is generally maybe 50 to 100 units, kind of garden style apartments. So they're one or two story buildings. They're not condo skyscrapers. The construction, the operation of those type properties are very similar to the single family properties I did for 30, 35 years. They're wood frame construction. They have the same kind of heating system. So the knowledge of kind of the physical operation of the buildings very similar. Dealing with tenants is very similar, whether they're in an apartment or a house. So I think there are a lot of crossovers that my experience in single family has allowed me to jump into multifamily kind of head first, feet first, however you want to say it, and gain traction fairly quickly based on this experience. Nice. And, I, and I'm glad you made that transition well, because uh, there's some stories that transition sometimes may not be easy, uh, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, first, I wanted to uh, pinpoint on those, on, those on those cycles and understanding the cycles and the real estate trends. And as you said, you've been through a lot of trends, even maybe more than you, than you covered here with us, like uh, in the 90s, uh, it was possible to list housings uh, online. Then you obviously you have Facebook and LinkedIn coming in. Uh, you have the mortgage crisis as well. How do you? Yeah, keep I up? forgot that one. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No. Okay. I, I I have them in notes here. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep up with all these uh, cycles and different trends and and still be alive in the business? Yeah. So uh, certainly, as you rightly point out, technology has changed the business greatly. Um, back in the day, um, realtors would carry around these little black binders and they'd have all the listings in these little binders. And the board of realtors would print out the new listings 
twice a week. So you go by the board, you'd pick up the paper list and that. Okay. So, so now everything's online. You got 30 pictures. You can sell stuff online. You don't even have to go see the house. You know, the pictures and the virtual tours are enough. I remember when I got into the business, fax machines were new. So sending a fax was a big, big deal. And um, so the technology uh, has changed the real estate business in many ways, makes it easier, in some ways makes it more difficult. Um, and I just do my best to try to adopt the trends. Uh, it doesn't come as naturally to me as it may someone your age or someone younger who, uh, I mean, when I went to college, we still had these punch cards that you'd take to the computer lab and drop off and there'd be some big old mainframe computer that would take up this whole building. You drop off these punch cards, they'd come back, they'd say, come back tomorrow and we'll have your results. So even something like the personal computer is just fundamentally changed the real estate business. And um, as we've seen like with COVID, Zoom has gone big, online meetings. Uh, so you just have to adapt and be flexible. And I think as long as one is learning, there's a certain excitement and energy there and it keeps one growing and it, 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 it kind of makes life fun. If you just do the same thing for 30 years, it may get a little boring. So I like the changes. They're going to keep coming and you just have to adapt um, and Social media is a big part of it. I'm active on Facebook and LinkedIn. I could certainly get better at it, uh, but I do what I can to try to maintain a presence there. Nice is the the survival of the fittest. So we got to survive. <laughs> we got to adapt. Yes, yes. And what trend or or cycle between uh, all the ones that we that we discussed affected you the most, and what did you do to overcome it? Uh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I would say the one that probably affected me the most was the one I forgot to mention, the financial crisis of 2008. Um, just to kind of step back in the early 2000s, well, 1999, we kind of had the dot-com crash. There was a period of some recession in the early 2000s, and then the economy kind of went gangbusters and real estate values increased significantly 2004, 2005, 6, 7. Uh, it was the time of kind of no qualifying loans, no money down. There was kind of a big speculative fever. Um, and so... At that stage, I was building a real estate portfolio, uh, primarily funded from my real estate brokerage income. And during those years selling in the San Francisco Bay Area, my income was pretty good. And then when 2008 hit, sales dropped about 50% and my income dropped 50%. At the end of the day, what happened was I had to sell one or two properties, kind of retrench a little bit, deleverage. So I wasn't hurt bad, but kind of the expansionary path I was on had to take a pause because in the Bay Area, it's not really a cash flow market. 
So you buy properties and you hope they break even. Sometimes you even support them a little bit in return for massive appreciation. And so when 2008 hit, income dropped, I had to sell a few to kind of get back to a state of equilibrium. Uh, and then two years later, everything was good. And we were off and running again until COVID hit. And um, a lot of doomsday stories about COVID. And certainly it enacted a horrible human tragedy toll, medical and health-wise. But in terms of the real estate market, basically the real estate market's as strong as it's ever been. Prices are as high as they've been. Certainly prices and rents for multifamily properties are at record levels. So COVID kind of put a little dip in it, but we just kind of worked through that and it's as strong as ever. Nice, and now uh, scaling, scaling back again. And I think if I, if I made this question to Another person, another real estate investor, you might have talked about the crisis of 08 as well, because everyone, everyone was affected. Someone, some, they got thrown out of business. Some are still here. Uh, so that's. Yes. And I would think, yeah. And so what I would say is um, I'm kind of a step-by-step -step guy, uh, Many people in the multifamily space recommend kind of go, go big as soon as you can, okay? And I'm not going to argue against that per se. I'm just going to say that's not necessarily my style. I think for me, there's a kind of systematic step-by-step -step process to building a business, building a, a real estate portfolio, and as you lay these foundational steps, if you create your portfolio in the proper way, which basically means proper leverage, don't get over leveraged, and two, have sufficient cash reserves to take care of the unexpected, you can ride out the bad times. And I did. I had to make some adjustments. I really wasn't hurt horribly. But if somebody had jumped into the market 2006, 2007 without a foundation and was kind of out there on the end of the ledge, so to speak, when 2008 hit, they may have been hurt worse and lost everything simply because they didn't take the time to set the proper foundation initially. Um, and so for me, I'd rather go kind of slow and steady. I think over time you're going to win doing that. Uh, but I understand others um, like to swing for the fences. I try to go for line drive base hits um, and just depends on your personality and kind of your risk reward tolerance uh, as to how aggressive you want to get. Yeah. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta admire, admire someone's boldness if they want to, they have five years of experience as a realtor. And then on the year six, they already have their own investment uh, agency and they're already their own CEOs. You know, of course, we have to admire that. But of course, the other side uh, of the fence is that may not work every time. And it's better to pace yourself as well. That's why you stayed in a single family for quite a long time, right? Yes. And, and, and looking back, um... Actually, just to way back up, uh, I actually was trained as a scientist. I have a master's degree in PCHEM, and so I love numbers and I love analysis. Looking back, 
uh, perhaps I should have made the jump into multifamily and commercial real estate sooner uh, because I can tell now that I'm in it, uh, I, I kind of feel an energy going through me and it kind of activates my mind and I love thinking about it. So in retrospect, maybe I should have made the move to multifamily sooner, but hey, uh, I don't spend much time looking backwards. You know, what, what's happens happened, you learn from it and you move on. So I'm excited about what, what's to come. Yeah, better better late than never, right? Like better late said. than never, yes. <laughs> and um, now pointing out this, uh, the challenges that you face during this transition from a single family broker to a multifamily investor, what were the challenges that you faced? Well, I would say the biggest challenge, and most investors are well familiar with it, is finding properties to buy, sourcing deals. Uh, it's a very competitive market. Um, and, and the other thing I would say, with residential, 98% of the deals kind of go through MLS. So if you have access to MLS, you have access to almost all of the inventory. With multifamily real estate, commercial real estate in general, there's not really an MLS. Each investment company, whether it's Cushman and Wakefield or Capstone or Marcus and Millichap, kind of have their properties that they're trying to sell. So for multifamily investing, you really have to develop the relationships with the brokers to be able to access their listings. Uh, so it's much different than just logging on to the MLS, seeing what's out there. So I'd say the, 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 the thing I spent the most time with uh, that was frustrating at time was kind of developing these relationships with the brokers who kind of sell multifamily. I primarily focus in the Carolinas where I live. And um, because in a competitive market, there's 10 buyers for every multifamily asset, five buyers, 10. I've heard cases where there's even more. And so as a broker, you want to give the deals to the person who you know is going to close the deal and buy the property. And so, of course, if you're new in the business, you don't quite have that same street cred. Now, I had the longtime experience in Silicon Valley to fall back on. But basically, it took me about a year to gain traction with the brokers. And so I'm now at the point where they bring me deals. And the last one I bought, uh, I was the first person they brought it to. It was in Greenville, where I live. They knew I was really looking for something in Greenville. And uh, they brought it to me. I bought it. I paid the asking price and we're off and running and that property is doing great. So I would say developing brokers, accessing deals is the most difficult thing for me transitioning into multifamily. Nice. And we, we talked about that actually on the on our episodes uh, before yours, uh, Arne, that the importance of building relationships and nurturing relationships in the multifamily world is very important, even with the brokers, the property managers, uh, basically everyone to get an on-market deal, off-market deal, you depend on those relationships. So I, I can understand why you struggled a bit coming from the single family to the, to the multifamily. Yes, it's a whole different world. And um, 
but it can all be done. And um, I think the other thing is um, I, I've owned some fourplexes and so forth. And then I moved up to a 12 unit building that I bought fall of 2020. And then when the next one that I bought was 43 units came up, buying the 12 established some credibility to buy the 43. Now I'm looking, I've I put an offer in on a 104 unit deal here in, in South Carolina. So I think if you can get even a few smaller deals under your belt, that at least lets the broker know you're in the game, you're actually closing things, and this is the direction you want to go. I think the other thing is you, I take them to golf, we go to lunch, every two weeks, maybe I call them or I text them and I just go kind of, hey, this is Arn, you got anything for me? And you have to keep top of mind because they're busy. They got 80 phone calls a day. Everybody's banging them. Let's get some multifamily. So you got to kind of keep top of mind. Very friendly, short. You don't need to take a lot of your time, but you just kind of remind them, hey, I'm still here. I'm still looking. And, you know, keep me in mind if you get something that might work. Exactly. And sometimes not even using that same words because you want you don't want to be uh, buzzing too much the other people, but you want to let them know your presence. So I guess a golf game every now and then is the is the best, yeah, the best you or, can do. Or you go for lunch, you meet for a beer or whatever. Uh, the, uh, there's nothing better. Uh, I don't. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is late afternoon meet a broker, have a beer at a local brewery, and it's cool. They're 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 looking to unwind, and you you sit there for an hour, have a beer, and have a nice chat. And it, it, it makes a difference. You got to develop these relationships. And the other thing is, it's fun. You know, if you're working with people who are kind of like-minded, uh, whose company you enjoy, you have a common interest, uh, for me, it's fun. So it, yes, it's work, but really I enjoy the socializing part of it. And uh, uh, that's a big part of the multifamily. Yeah, exactly. And I'll uh, whenever I go to Greensville, I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll pin you so we can uh, so we can have a beer. Yes, that <laughs> would be great. Yes, there are a lot of good places. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we, we we've been talking uh, here uh, a lot about different assets. And can you explain to us what is the importance of uh, diversifying your portfolio into different assets? A uh, uh, great question. And uh, so on one level, we kind of know the world is crazy. Okay. Things are going on. Um, uh, being a little more technical, um, our modern financial world um, is based on debt, right? Uh, United States of America is car carrying a big debt. Most developed countries in the world have big, big debt. And uh, that used to be a no-no, uh, but now we're starting to hear something called mon uh, modern monetary theory, which starts to say it really doesn't matter about debt because the governments can keep printing money. So in any case, uh, Life happens, we have climate change, we have COVID, we have economic ups and downs. And so 
I don't think the answer is to sit in cash and just ride anything out. I, I do think you got to keep investing. We're seeing inflation now. And so if you sit in cash, you're losing money every month. So I think in a world that can be somewhat chaotic, the best way to protect yourself is to diversify into various asset classes and so forth. So for my personal portfolio, I would say about half of my money's in stocks and mutual funds, about half of my money, my equity is in real estate. So I'm kind of at a 50-50 ratio. Um, the great thing, uh, especially for passive investors, is it's easy to create a diversified real estate portfolio through passive investing. And what I mean by that is, say you made five or six investments in multifamily syndications as a passive investor. You could maybe have two class A properties, new fancy expensive buildings. You could maybe have two class B properties. You could maybe have two class C. Uh, and so by having a variety of classes, that's kind of a diversification. And I think there's some safety in that diversification through COVID, the fancy buildings downtown did the worst as people left the big cities to go to less dense things. The other thing you can do with diversification is geographically. So in my own portfolio, I have investments in Boise, Idaho, Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I have one in Augusta, Georgia, and I have a couple in South Carolina. So they're diversified geographically in two areas that I really like, the Southeast and the Mountain West as growth areas. So I think diversification provides safety. It allows you to better ride out kind of any ups and downs that come. And with passive investing, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. You can invest a sum of money here in this deal and kind of diversify. It's the same idea when you buy stocks or mutual funds, you buy a diversified portfolio because that should offer greater security. Same idea. And is that the same uh, modus operandi that you use with your investors in the Spark, in the Spark Investment Group? Uh, yes. So Spark typically acts one or two ways, either as the lead sponsor operator of multifamily assets. And so when Spark is kind of the lead operator, lead sponsor, basically the one who's in charge of running the property on a day-to-day -day basis, my focus in that role is simply the Carolinas and particularly South Carolina, because I really want to feel like I know the market and the area and I can get there and I have a sense of what's going on. The other role that Spark Investment Group plays is helping investors place capital with other experienced operators. So uh, in terms of placing capital, I'll go all over the country. And mainly what I focus on is the skill and expertise of the sponsor and operators. So I have six or seven operators I work with that I know do a good job. 
And in that role, Spark isn't actually operating the property. They're part of the general partner team and they have some minor role in it, but basically the day-to-day -day operations handled by another company that in that case, I'll help people invest all over the country. Yes. Nice. And, and it's good that you focus on what you know on your, on your region. And then you also make the bridge to other experts in, in other regions with different assets so we can promote the diversification. That's amazing. Yeah, well, thank you. So, uh, and it's, um, you know, um, a, a busy professional, an engineer, a doctor, an attorney, uh, financial guy, they could certainly take the time to develop all of these personal relationships. So, but of course, they're busy with their nine to five job, they're busy with family. And so one of the services that Spark can provide is this is kind of all I do. So I'm constantly networking with operators all through the country, developing relationships. So I can help the passive investor kind of find the correct operators. They can certainly do it themselves. It just would take them a lot more time. And, you know, I don't know about you, but the days seem to fly by. And I think everybody struggles with finding enough time to do what they got to do, have fun, take care of business, whatever it is, spend time with family. And so that's one of the beauties of passive investing. Exactly. And, and my, my passion will be, will be traveling if you, if you had made that question. And what you are proposing as a, a Spark investor, obviously, is an opportunity of a lifetime to have additional income streams and uh, have the ability to have the time to pursue your passions. And, but I want to know where is this coming from? So if you would be an investor, so if you would be on the other side, Arn, of Spark, and you, you, you would go to Spark and speak with the CEO of Spark and say, I want to invest because my passion is, what would be that passion? Uh, if it was me, um, it would be just to simply have the time freedom to kind of live the life that I want. And for me, a lot of it's around kind of fitness and recreation. So I spent a lot of time riding bikes, love hiking, walking, working out at the gym, swimming. I, I kind of have a whole menu that I do, then adding golf. And then uh, for us, uh, we love taking little road trips. So we don't enjoy getting on a plane as much. And maybe that's just because we're older and certainly with COVID, it's less attractive than it was two years ago. So we love taking little two, three day road trips. Um, and so I think it's just, uh, as my mom used to say, money can't buy happiness, but it sure doesn't hurt, right? So, uh, creating the income allows anybody to kind of live the life that they want, or at least the passive income gives them the freedom to do it, whatever they do. And uh, my, my passions are relatively simple. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned about travel, because I think that's one of the big drivers for multifamily investment. 
Uh, I think today's, so when I was growing up, my dream and maybe the dream of my contemporaries was to get the house in suburbia on the big lot at the end of the cul-de-sac and we're going to live there 30 years and raise our family okay that's kind of what my dream was i think for younger people today they're citizens of the world right and their dream life is spending a year in costa rica a year in switzerland and having, and of course, tech plays into this because it allows you to be mobile and still do whatever you have to do. So I think society's interests are changing and moving towards a kind of more mobile lifestyle, which plays into multifamily and renting as opposed to buying a house and being there 30 years. So it's interesting you met, met, mentioned travel, uh, I find that's a big goal for a lot of people. And, th and that's where uh, the passive investing is uh, basically knocking on the door and say, okay, I have the solution for you. So that's, <laughs> that's great. Yes. And um, I have seven passive investments of my own. <clears throat> so I put my money where my mouth is <clears throat> and I practice what I preach. And trust me, It's great when I get that little email saying you have an ACH deposit, bing, bing. And, you know, I look at my monthly statement and there are seven deposits. And if you just start building your portfolio, it does start to add up, but you just have to start and build. And I would say if folks make routine investments, passive investments in multifamily syndications, maybe one a year over a period of five to 10 years, at the end of that 10-year period, they will have created significant additional income, maybe not quite enough to leave your job, but it's going to be a significant chunk, and also created a significant chunk of wealth And it, it, it takes very little of your time. So it's kind of a great way to do it. It is. And uh, I'll look into it even myself. <laughs> yes, you'll get there. Yes. yes. And there's <laughs> and, nothing uh, wrong with being active either. So uh, it, yeah, exactly. it's great being an active investor. And what I would say for myself uh, in, in my team at Spark, I'm kind of the acquisition guy, the investor relations guy. Uh, I kind of handle the legal and loan part. And then my partner, Brian, is more the operator. So he takes care of the day-to-day, -day, renovating the units, dealing with the tenants, collecting the rent. And so uh, it, it's a good fit for me, kind of what I do well and what I want to spend time with. So you can certainly find active roles. It probably will mean you have to partner with other people to kind of share the workload. Nice. And now, now going into those uh, final, very important questions of, uh -oh. of our podcast here. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. You have the seatbelt on, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's just the, the tough questions, the tough and the, and the, and the good ones. So, This one is a question that no one wants to hear, but everyone needs it is, in what areas do you feel you need to improve and uh, what are you doing about it? Um, so where I need to improve is, um, 
I'm not really good with systems and setting up processes. Um, I, I tend to free wheel. I kind of, so um, I'm kind of a big picture guy. And uh, it's always hard for me to delegate because, well, no one can do it as good as I. And I say that half jokingly, but I think many of us suffer from the thing of, well, only I can do it. And so what I'm really working on is one, uh, within the last six months, I've hired a VA and he and I work great together and he takes so much off my plate and helps keep me on track and keeps track of all these documents and that. Um, and Brian, my partner as the property manager as system. So for me, I think it's developing systems uh, and processes that will expedite the workflow, take things off the, my plate that I don't necessarily enjoy or that I'm good at to allow me to have more time to kind of do what I want to do. So I'd say that's my big uh, growth delegation systems and, and put it, putting systems in place. Yeah, and you don't imagine how many automation processes are out there right now with all these uh, digital platforms to do whatever you want. So, of course, uh, sometimes it's a bit hard to keep up. You don't have to go with all of them, but in the end, they may uh, simplify your life. But I guess if you don't want to go that road, I guess your relationships with Brian or with your virtual assistant, uh, it's also a solution, you know? Yeah, so uh, it, it, it's great. And I think when you're looking to put together a team, you have to find people that have complementary skill sets uh, to kind of create a perfect whole. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it's great. And as I've worked with my VA, I'm learning to kind of put more and more on his plate uh, and kind of present it and set it up in a way that he'll be successful in executing those tasks. So it's a learning experience for me uh, as a real estate broker. Most of my career, I've been kind of a one-man band and kind of don't do everything, uh, but there is a, re a reason for specialization. So that's exactly right. Exactly. And in, the, in a band, it's always, it's always nice to have a guitar, a drummer, a singer. So we got to yeah. diversify on that as well. <laughs> exactly. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so if, um, if there's one piece of advice you could uh, uh, share with us today, uh, what would it be? I would say if you're looking to invest in multifamily real estate, uh, educate yourself first. Take the time to understand how it works, build relationship. Podcasts are a great way. So you're doing a great job helping people learn this business. So I'd say start with education and then slowly start to make some investments. You don't have to go all in on your first investment. Make a small investment, see how you like it. If it's working for you, then you go on to number two. So education and kind of just take it slow, step by step. Exactly, step by step. And you hear from uh, someone that has a lot of experience. So if I was you, I, I should be taking this on a, on a note. 
And how can our audience reach you, Arne? Sure. Uh, thank you for asking. So um, my business is Spark Investment Group. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. My website is investwithspark, S-P-A-R-K dot com. Email is arn, A-R-N, at investwithspark.com. And my cell, uh, which I kept from the Bay Area, is 650-575-6114. So easy to track down. Always happy to talk to folks about real estate. Nice. And we'll put down the details on the, on the description. So don't worry if you didn't catch that. <laughs> and thanks, Ar. Thanks for bringing that spark. Thanks for bringing your, your very wide experience. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Been great getting to know you a little bit. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help you on your journey, you just let me know and let's, let's keep in touch over time. And uh Maybe we'll meet up at a conference at some point, and uh, that would be great. Or, or a beer in Greenville. Or a beer, yes, in Greenville, <laughs> Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, come on down. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye, Arne, thank one. you. Thank you.